You're listening to sermon audio from Redeemer Georgetown. For more information about Redeemer Georgetown, connect with us on social media or check us out at www.redeemergeorgetown.com. We're uh, week two into our series on four gospel truths about who God is and how that works in our lives. Uh, this week we're looking at Psalm 73 that God is good. And because God's good, I don't have to look elsewhere. You know, I don't know if you've ever had something called a seafood tower, but if you get the chance to go to a restaurant in Chicago called RPM, uh, Revolution for Men and I assume, you get the chance to go there, you've got to pace yourself. Because if you load up on the appetizers, you've made a critical mistake. Because the steak is coming. And uh, you want to make sure that you have gauged it rightly so that you can enjoy the whole thing. We had, as a going away party for me, uh, you know, right about a month before we moved here last year, a group of guys said, hey, Robert, we want to take you out to Steak Place downtown in Chicago. And uh, the sky's the limit. And I could see where this was going. Early into the meal, I said, guys, let's just agree right now that everybody's paying their own way because this is going to get ridiculous. And like just crazy men, everybody started ordering everything. I mean, just everything, you know. And a couple of my buddies are of the mindset, nah, no matter what you got to say, I'm paying for it. And I put up a pretend fight with that. I'm like, sure, let me have a shot at that. But I know what's going to happen, right? And so we, we start into uh, eating everything on the menu. And uh, I almost wish I'd never tasted what Wagyu beef tastes like makes you hate the steak you've been eating, right? Uh, but, but here's the thing that hit me as I got through the meal, was that it is really, really difficult to tempt a man with Halloween candy as he's walking out of the door of RPM. It's just not going to happen because he's eaten from a superior source. He is deeply, fully satisfied with this bacon, this thick sliced bacon, who knew? I mean, it's, it's not normal bacon. I'm just saying it's amazing that you can't really tempt him with Halloween candy on his way out of the front door to his car. Because he's already eaten and he's already satisfied. He's already stuffed himself so much that there's not a chance your Halloween candy is going to make a dent. But here's another truth. Give it a day and suddenly candy corn looks good. I guess I don't like candy corn. I don't know who does. But you know what? If you give it enough time, the satisfaction of that meal will wear off, and suddenly that little tiny Twix bar will get you. Right? Listen closely to me, friends. You are a hybrid being. Right? You are, if you want to say it this way, you are profoundly physical in nature. That is a great part of how God has wired you, is to be physically wired to want to see, to eat, to drink, to feel, to smell. All of these things are physically how God has made us, but he has also made us emotional and spiritual beings. That there is an inner person in you that also is deeply hungry, deeply longing and wanting. And if you do not sit at the table of God, and eat from his goodness and his kindness, you will start to believe the uh, beer commercial sales pitch, right? Where you go Christmas shopping in a one-horse 
slay, right? Or whatever. You're gonna go, you're gonna believe that, man. That's the life. If I could have that, I'd be satisfied. If I could just get a little bit more of this, a little bit more of that, if I could just get one more outfit, if I could just get one more promotion, if I could just get new clothes, new car, whatever it is, if I could have that, I would then become satisfied. That's what I need right now. Because your inner man, the person you are on the inside, longs for God so deeply that these advertisements start to say, well, if you can't have that, you can have this. Pastor named Scotty Smith said that when his mother died suddenly and he was 12 years old, he said, somehow, if I could just sit in front of the TV long enough and get one more Oreo cookie out of the cookie jar as I watched these mindless shows, I could numb the pain that I was feeling. He just turned to food and distraction, and he said he just bloomed up and got really uh, overweight as he was heading into junior high and he said then all of a sudden a coach had made fun of me so as Scotty Smith was realizing that he was overweight the coach made fun of him in front of the whole the whole school uh, he decided he was going to lose weight he was going to uh, get really fit so he chased after that and he got himself into that position and found the emptiness of that success was crushing him because if you can accomplish that and still not feel any better, where do you go from here? It's the same thing with Deion Sanders when he scored a touchdown in, in, and a home run in the same uh, like 10-day period. And he said that after he had done that, the only thing he wanted to do was take his own life. Because he'd always believed that if he could somehow succeed professionally, in these heights of baseball and football on a national stage that somehow that would be enough for him. But friends, it's never going to be enough. Because God has wired you, and we just read it in our confession, that all things were made by Jesus and for Jesus. And there's no getting around that. And so this morning, I'm going to be reading to you from Psalm 73. And I want you to see that and I want you to just ask God to speak to your heart that he knows where you're at. He knows what you need to hear. And we're going to study that together today. So pray with me. Father in heaven, we come before you in the name of Jesus. You know our hearts. You know our hurts. You know our ambitions, our dreams. You know the things that we're afraid of. The things we're longing for. The things we're ashamed of in our past. You know the things that we're longing for better than we do. Oh God, I want you to meet with us this morning. I want you to speak to us this morning. I want you to fill our hearts this morning with your grace, your kindness, your presence. Teach us, Lord God, that the greatest satisfaction, the greatest joy we can have on this earth is to know you and be close to you. Help us to believe that. No matter what else we have turned to, God, Give us the grace to see that you have created us for yourself. Our hearts will always be restless until they find their rest in you. Now I pray that you'd speak to your people in the name of Jesus. Amen. God is good, and so I don't have to look elsewhere. Listen to these words from Psalm 73. The author of this psalm is a man named Asaph. He is the worship leader in David's court. So you have a sense of who this man is. He is a high-level 
spiritual leader, national leader in Israel at its apex. He says this, verse 1, Truly God is good to Israel, to those who are pure in heart. But as for me, my feet had almost stumbled. My steps had nearly slipped. And then let's just stop for a second because what he's going to give us is going to give us a breakdown of how this nearly happened. So you have a man who is a spiritually mature man looking back at a season of his life where he'd say, I know that God is good. We've been grafted into Israel. We've been uh, folded into true Israel in Christ. And so he's saying, I know that God is good to those who know him, Israel. To those who are folded into Israel. To those who are pure in heart. And we are, because of Christ, that group. I know that God is good. But I want to tell you about a time when my feet had almost stumbled. Looking back on a time when he realized... I nearly tumbled down the mountain of faith and lost everything of my core convictions about who God is. How did that happen? What was it that brought him to look back and say, that was a perilous time in my life? Well, he tells us in verse 3, I was envious of the arrogant when I saw the prosperity of the wicked. What is it that caused him to lose his ground, to almost fall? He says, when I got looking at people that didn't even know God, when I got to seeing those who were prospering, even though they were evil, and I looked around back at my life and I said, this isn't right. This isn't fair. Teddy Roosevelt said once, comparison is the thief of joy. So when you've got what God has given you and you look around your life and you can enjoy that right up to the moment when you get to looking at what somebody else has got and you find yourself saying, well, this just isn't right. And quietly in the back of your mind, and that person doesn't even try to do right. It's not even a noble, good, honorable person at all. I'm better than that person and look how they are prospering. They're getting so many good things. And then you kind of look up at God like, what's going on? Why are you allowing that jerk, <laughs> that awful person, they're not even trying to be good, and all these good things are happening to them. That's where Asaph finds himself. Do you ever look around, and, and, and you kind of want to say this, God, when I see so-and-so over here, at least how they present themselves online, they look so happy. I mean, they're having these Kodak moments and they just put them right on Facebook or Instagram or whatever. And I look back at my chaos and go, why? You ever been in that spot? Are you in that spot right now? Or do you look back at a chapter earlier in your life when seeing, it seems things were really going your way? The wind was at your back and you're trying to stitch together how and why that season was so sweet? Why things seem to be going so well for you compared to what you're in right now? Well, you're not alone. Christian, let me tell you something. You can have fears and doubts. You can have moments where you go, God, I don't understand what is going on and I don't like it. To pretend that you're better than that is to pretend that you're better than this psalmist. And to, be, to pretend that you're better than the Apostle Paul. Everyone has fears. Everyone has doubts. The question is, will you bring them into the presence of God? 
Or will you just stew on them and let them ruin you? Look at what he says. This is, this is a lesson for us, okay? Because there's no varnish on what he's about to say. There's no pretending that he's better than this. There's no pretending that he doesn't feel what he feels or think what he thinks. He just lays it bare. So listen to what he says. When he looked at the prosperity of the wicked, he said this. They have no pains in death until death. Their bodies are fat and sleek. They're not in trouble as others are. They're not stricken like the rest of mankind. Like, why are they not getting in trouble? And where's their conscience? Like, why is it they seem to just continually live a peaceful life? And then, yeah, sure, they're going to die someday. But they're living as if there is no consequence to the sin that they're in. And they keep on prospering. They're not in trouble like others are. They keep getting away with it. And therefore, verse 6 says, pride is their necklace. Violence covers them like a garment. They're not only prospering. These people are threatening. They're unkind, they're ungracious, and they're threatening. Violence. It says their eyes swell out through fatness, and their heart overflows with follies. And then not only that, this may be the worst of it, they speak with malice, and they threaten oppression, and they set their mouth against the heavens. Their tongues strut through the earth. It's not just the way they're living, it's the way they speak. We were watching like this thing, it was on YouTube the other day, it was about best gunfights and like top 10 gunfights in the movies. And I, I told my kids, I said, the gunfight's gonna be great, but it's the trash talk that happens before the gunfight that's usually the best. You know, some guy comes out and he knows he's the you know, fastest hand in the West. Well, he's gonna, He's going to talk a little trash before he guns this person down. It's always fantastic like that. That's what he's saying here is these guys are not just living this reckless, evil life. They set their mouth against heaven. In case you didn't pick up on that, they're not only speaking bad about the righteous and the good and the noble, they're also speaking against God. They're making fun of God. And here's the, the, the quiet thought inside of Asaph in that moment. Lord Strike them with a bolt of lightning just once, just once. Because this would go a long ways if you would do that. Like one good lightning bolt would really be, if you do it right in the middle of the day so everybody could see it, this would be really helpful for me. You ever feel like that? You ever feel like you kind of, that person that cuts in right at the last minute when you're on the highway and they didn't wait through the line that you did and you're like, golly. You know, you just kind of want them to have a flat tire right there or something, you know. You want it to not work out. Now, I'll tell you why my kids are laughing. No, I won't tell you that. We'll just keep moving. <laughs> Don't hate them. They're speaking against God. And look at what happens in verse 10. Therefore, his people turn back to them, and they find no fault with them. And they say, how can God know? Is there knowledge with the Most High? Behold, these are the wicked. They're always at ease, and they always increase in richness. You know what he's saying? Does God even see this? I mean, it apparently is working out for them. So the question I have is, God, are you taking notes? Do you see what's happening here? Do you even know what's going on? Because if you did, my expectation is that you would do something about it. Now, that's an honest lament. Now, I hope you'll pick up on this. One of the great things that I want to see embedded in this church is that 
This honest kind of lament is safe inside the grace of God. Meaning you don't dress up what you're thinking and what you're feeling as if to say to God, well, I, I want to edit who I am because I want to be better than that in front of you. Well, Asaph doesn't do that. He just lays it bare. He just says, God, I am so frustrated. And I'm not going to pretend not to be. There's no disrespect here towards God, but there is honest, unvarnished complaint laid bare in front of God. I so want to invite you into that kind of authenticity. Do you know, that's the safety of being loved based on the merit of Christ, is you no longer have to be super impressive. You get to just kind of be you. You get to say it right in front of God. You get to lament honestly in front of God. That's what he's just done. Now, some of you kind of feel like when you come into God's presence privately in a time of worship that you need to get your these and your thous right, and you need to sound a little bit like a Elizabethan poet or something like that. Well, let's drop that, would you? I feel like God's saying, hey, stop. I already know your thoughts better than you do. I know why and how you're feeling, what you're feeling, the discouragement that is a part of your life right now. I know it better than you do, so just lay it bare. That's what he's just done. And he's about to get even more vocal. And I think that this psalm, who J. Vernon McGee said, is probably the most remarkable and satisfying of all the psalms. Because this one really hits the heart of what it means to follow God. He says in verse 13, All in vain I have kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. Do you see what just happened there? I know God is good. I know that he's good to Israel, to those who walk with him who are pure in heart. But as for me, I nearly slept. And here's why. I started looking around and seeing these wicked people prosper. And that got me upset. But you know what was even worse? When I looked back at me, I had to realize that it was in vain that I had washed my hands in innocence. And here's what it means. It was all empty. That's what vain is. Empty. It was empty that I had kept my heart clean and washed my hands in innocence. I thought we were trading, God. I thought that if I was good, you would reward me, and if they were bad, they'd get punished. And I found out that that was empty, that that wasn't how it was happening. I've done all this, and that's not we're not trading. Do you guys know that there's a difference between covenant love and contracts. I contract with Verizon. I contract with them. I'm going to pay this money and you're going to give me cell service. And so I'm going to pay my part and you're going to give, this is a contract. You're going to do this because I'm paying you this. Well, that's how a lot of your relationships are. In fact, sometimes we do that not just with a boss. Well, I'm going to do this job and you're going to give me a paycheck. We sometimes do that with loved ones that live with us. Well, I'm going to act in this kind of way, and then you're going to act in this kind of way, and we're going to trade. And when you stop being kind, I'll stop being kind. That's a contract love. But God's not like that. God is a God of covenant love. God's covenant is to love you with an everlasting love because of Christ. Well, what does Asaph say? Well, I've been keeping my hands and my heart clean in front of you, and it was empty. You're not giving me what I expected you to give me when I obey. 
All day long I've been stricken and rebuked every morning. I was going to sin, but I felt the conviction not to, and so I didn't. And what did I get for it? All of this obedience and all of this trying harder. What did I get? I did my part, and, and you let that guy prosper. Now that's honest, is it not? You know, for some of you, uh, please don't take offense to this. It was a quote that stuck with me since seminary. One of my professors, J. Scott Harrell, said, we're all born Catholic. And what he meant by that was, we all sense that if I obey God, he kind of owes me. And if I disobey, well, I can expect that he's going to bring the thunder down on me. But if I'm good, I get the goodies, right? And if I'm bad, well, then, of course, he's upset with me. See, that's a contract. That's not the love of God, right? And so that's why he says, all day long I've been stricken and smitten. <laughs> and I love what he says in verse 15. If I had said I will speak thus, I would have betrayed a generation of, of your children. If I said out loud what I'm really struggling with, people who are younger than me that look up to me for spiritual leadership would have said, you thought that? But you're, you're a spiritual leader. You're not supposed to have fears and doubts and confusion and disorientation. You're supposed to know the road. You're supposed to know the map. And so I can't imagine you saying that you had lost your confidence in God's goodness. He says, when I thought to understand this, it seemed a wearisome task. So here's a man, and please understand this. Here's a guy who is privately wrestling with this question. Is God good? And he feels, I can't say that out loud. I can't say that out loud. People expect me to just know that, believe that, lead them in that. And, and if I say that out loud, I'm going to shake up their faith. And Friends, I don't know how well you've known some of your previous pastors. Um, I hope you've gotten to know them. I hope as a shepherd they've gotten engaged in your life enough that you can see they're no different than you. They need the grace that you need. They have fears. They have doubts, insecurities. They have moments of confusion and disorientation where they're, they're, they know, and I could say this, that at a particular season of my life, I knew God was powerful, and I believed that he loved me. I just didn't know if he was good. And I hated the sound of it in my own voice. I thought, oh gosh, this is hard. Because life will spin you around and cause you disorientation, theologically, emotionally. You'll get turned around by your circumstances, and you'll be asking this question. I know you're there, God. And I know that you have power. I just don't know if you're good. I don't mean just good like somehow, someone. I mean good in my life today. Are you good? Well, he's about to turn the corner. Before he turns that corner, I want you to hear this. Spurgeon said, Spurgeon the great preacher, Great Britain, 125, 130 years ago, blessed is the storm that throws you into the rock of ages. You probably can't realize that God is good unless something is wounded deeply in you. Something that strips you of self-reliance, strips you of turning to something other than God. God will pull that away from you and it's going to hurt. 
And that's the moment you're going to start wondering, is God good? Because you're suffering and God doesn't seem to be close and God doesn't seem to be listening and you can't figure out why he's allowing this into your life. Well, keep watching. He's allowing the suffering for a purpose and for a season because he wants you to draw near to him. Listen to this. He said, it was hard for me to understand this. It was a wearisome task until, verse 17, I went into the sanctuary of God, and then I discerned their end. Now, please hear this. He couldn't make sense of his circumstances until he came into the presence of God, and he laid it all bare. God wants you to come to him unvarnished, real, honest you. And that's what he's done. He came into the the sanctuary of God. And then what could he see clearly that he couldn't see before? That you have, uh, I could discern their end. Now look at this. Here's what he means. Verse 18. Truly you've set them in slippery places. You make them fall to ruin. How they are destroyed in a moment. Swept away utterly by terrors, like a dream when one awakes. Oh Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them as phantoms. Now here's what he's saying. Oh, they may be uh, flourishing for a period of time. They may be prospering for a little bitty time. But then they're going to go to hell. Now this is hard. And this is difficult. In fact, you won't even hear many people speak about hell from the pulpit anymore because it upsets us so much. It should upset us. If hell is real, if people who wake up there and find themselves in it say, so this is hell. I am in hell. This is not going to get better ever. This will never change. I will never have rest again. I will never have peace again. I will never have hope again. This is eternal. Oh, now look back on your life of prosperity that may have lasted for 70 or 80 years and it may have been shorter than that. Now tell me how valuable is it to you? It's nothing. You set them in slippery places. All of the prosperity that I looked on and longed for and wished for, I've realized that, that stuff can vanish in an instant, and then it's gone. <clears throat> and like a dream when one awakens, so Lord, when you rouse yourself, you despise them like phantoms. You ever had a dream, and you woke up, and you, though you're in your bed, and you know you're in your bed, your heart is pounding, and you're just thinking, that was so real, and I hated it. Like this dream I was in, I was, I was chased or I was whatever, I was being attacked or whatever it is. And here's the comfort. That wasn't real. I'm safe. It was just a dream, a bad dream. He's saying the opposite is true for these people. Everything that feels so real to them, all this prosperity, it seems so tangible, so touchable, so eatable and drinkable, and yet it's not real. You know what reality is? It's when this life is done and you're in the presence of God. That's real. That's real. He says in verse 21, when my soul was embittered, when I was pricked in heart, I was brutish and ignorant 
I was like a beast towards you. Now circle, if you read, if you circle it or if you write in your Bible, you've got to circle or underline or whatever you've got to do. The next word in verse 23, it says, nevertheless, nevertheless, I'm continuing with you. Because what has he just said? When I look back and I was embittered, there's a momentum with complaining. I don't know if you picked up on this. There's a momentum behind complaining and, and, and seeing everything wrong. There's a momentum that drags you down. And there's also a momentum in gratitude. There's a momentum behind saying to God, you know what, in spite of this lousy set of circumstances, I still have enough food to eat today. I still have friends that love me. I still have you to talk to, God. Thank you. There's a momentum behind both of those. And he says, I was stuck in that downward path. I was embittered. I was brutish. I was like an animal in front of you. I didn't have any reasoning ability. All I could do was respond with anger and, and bitterness towards the things I didn't like. It's a pretty rough moment until you get to this word, nevertheless. Even in spite of that, even in spite of that terrible description of who I was, nevertheless, I'm continually with you. And it gets better. Listen to this. I'm not only continually with you. And by the way, this is the, the best. This is the thing where he comes to. This is that really good seafood tower, if you want to say it that way. This is where he starts to realize the goodness of God is not in the things that those people had. The goodness of God is in knowing and being close to God. He says, nevertheless, I'm continually with you. You hold my right hand. You guide me with your counsel. Afterward, you will receive me to glory. <laughs> How good is this? God, I acted like a complete fool. I complained all the time. I found fault in everything. Nevertheless, I'm continually with me, and your right hand holds on to me. Please hear this, friends. It doesn't matter how good your grip is on God. What matters is how good his grip is on you, and it's firm. He's got you. Early on when Monica and I uh, were new parents and we'd gone to the State Fair of Texas and we had hope she was only three years old. She might have been two. I think she was two. And we walked down that midway, you know, with all the stuffed animals. And on either side were people calling out to us because they could see the stars in her eyes. Every one of those massive stuffed animals. And they could see. And so what do we do? Monica on one side, me on the other, and we held a hand. <laughs> and do you know that the world is just like that with you right now? It's a midway that you're walking through that's calling out to you with shiny stuffed animals that they probably paid $1.25 for, but you're about to spend 80 trying to knock down whatever so you can get that thing that you can throw in the trash a year later, right? Okay, that's what's going on in the world right now, everything calls out to you to keep you from drawing near to the God who loves you, to the God who can satisfy the deepest longings of your soul. And he says, gosh, Lord, you're going to guide me with your counsel and afterward receive me to glory. So what has he just done? You're going to take me from where I'm at all the way home and you're going to lay your good hand on me and you're never going to let go. Never. 
Even when I'm brutish, even when I'm like an animal, even when I act like a fool, you're not going to let go of me. Now that's where the joy is. That's where the peace is. That God's grace is going to be here for me, even when I don't deserve it. Now look at what else he says. Verse 25. Whom am I in heaven but you? And there's nothing on earth that I desire besides you. My heart, or pardon me, my flesh and my heart may feel, may fail, but God is the strength of my heart, and he's my portion forever. <laughs> you know, sometimes I like to read John 14, the idea that there's a mansion up in heaven that God is preparing for me. And I love to read uh, Revelation chapter 20 and 21 and 22. I love to read those chapters because they speak about the eternal home that I'm going to, but they don't compare to this. God is going to be my portion forever. It's not just that the garden had uh, all the trees that Adam and Eve could eat from and all the safety of that. You know, the best thing there and the greatest loss in Genesis chapter 3 is not that paradise. It was the intimacy that they had with God. God, you're going to hold on to me. And besides you, what on earth in heaven do I desire more? When my friend Bill Estes died of cancer years ago, and I came into his room, and he was with his wife, Kay, he had this look of transformed joy on his face, and he started describing, oh, the buildings, oh, the buildings. And his wife would say, Bill, what are you seeing? And every time he turned around, he was looking up at the ceiling. And every time he turned to look at her, the joy drained out of his face when he saw the love of his life because he could see where he was going. He was going home to the Lord. And he could see where he was heading. He was, he was coming into the presence of the Lord. Friends, God is good. You don't have to look somewhere else. He's good. He's the best you're going to ever have. He is the one who is going to hold on to you when you can't hold on to him. And do you know something? Here's the beautiful thing. We're about to have communion here in a few minutes. What is communion? So we sit at the table of God and we commune with him. Well, how am I going to come into the presence of God with this wickedness in my heart? How am I going to come into the presence of God when I don't deserve to be there? It's because Jesus paid the price. Jesus makes communion with God possible for us who don't deserve it at all. So if you sit here this morning and you go, I don't know, I feel so far from God. Can you hear this? He's inviting you home. He's inviting you to come back. Now you may say, but, but I'm not sure how I feel about that. Doesn't matter. The invitation is yours anyways. He's calling out to you. He's calling out to you to come closer, to draw near. And Jesus makes it possible. Listen to this. Behold, all who are far from you will perish. You put an end to everyone who is unfaithful. But as for me, and hear this, it is good to be near God. I have made the Lord God my refuge, that I may tell of your, all your works. That's the beautiful thing. God is good, and to have him in my life, to have him close, to have him near, to know his love for me, that's what's good. I don't care if people are prospering. God's got it given me enough. 
more than enough for today. Draw near to him and he will draw near to you. Pray with me.